Welcome to Blitzcast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome to Blitzcast number 100. It's a special show this week. We hit the century mark. Unfortunately, I'm doing the show solo this week because Ed Hunt is currently under the weather. Uh, He's dealing with the cold and... I hope he's going to be back next week. Nothing too serious, obviously, but it's an opportunity for me to to thank Ed Hunt for his contributions to the website, to NFLDraftBlitz.com, and to this podcast. He has added a a great dynamic, and um, obviously he's been doing a, a heck of a job scouting players on the site and for the podcast. First things first, let's let's get to free agency. Obviously, it's been a busy week and a lot of movement, a lot of players changing teams. And let's start with the GOAT, the greatest player of all time, Tom Brady. After 20 years with the New England Patriots, after winning six Super Bowls with Bill Belichick, he has finally moved on. And I didn't think this was going to happen. To be honest with you, I didn't see Tom Brady moving on to a different team. I thought he was going to stay with the Patriots. He was going to retire as a Patriot. But I guess it's not surprising because we've seen great quarterbacks move on before. We saw it from Joe Montana. Obviously, what he did with the San Francisco 49ers, but then he moved on to the Kansas City Chiefs in the, in the latter part of his career. We saw the same thing with Brett Favre. Brett Favre had a great career with the Green Bay Packers, but then he moved on and and played with the Vikings and the Jets. We've seen great quarterbacks move on. He goes to the Tampa Bay Bucks. According to ESPN's Adam Schefter, Brady signed a two-year deal worth $50 million. He's now the quarterback for Bruce Arians and that exciting Tampa Bay Bucks offense. To be honest with you, If I were Brady, I would be excited about this because, look, I've got Mike Evans on one side. I've got Chris Godwin on another side. I haven't had weapons like this since Rob Gronkowski and and Randy Moss were suiting up for the Patriots. So this this is something that I'm sure Brady thought about, whether to go to the Colts or to go to the Titans or the Bucks, and he obviously went to Tampa Bay. It's going to be exciting to watch him in, in Florida suit up for the Tampa Bay Bucks. It's going to be weird, but the weapons are there for him to to have a great season. And I'm sure Bruce Arians, even though Tom Brady is not a perfect fit for that offense, I'm sure Arians and Brady are smart enough to play to Tom Brady's strengths. They're going to design the offense around you know, the great quarterback and what he brings to the table. And like I said, the two guys that are going to benefit the most from this are The tight ends, O.J. Howard and Cameron Bray, along with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. We know what they bring to the table. I mean, those guys are 100-plus catch guys. They go over 1,000 yards. Godwin had a breakout year, and I'm excited for Tom Brady. I really am. That defense for the Tampa Bay Bucks improved considerably last year. It It was a defense that got better as the season went on. And this, was, this is what makes the Bucks so exciting here. It's not the addition of Tom Brady and those weapons on offense, but they've got the defense as well to go far in a tough NFC South division. All right, They still have the Saints there. But the Bucks, to be honest with you, become the favorites. So I wish Tom Brady the best. I, again, I didn't see this coming, former players coming out, that they felt that Tom Brady was going to move on. I thought he was going to go back to the Patriots, but he's going to be suiting up for the Bucks, and uh, it's going to be interesting to watch him succeed there. And I think the Bucks right now become the favorites in the NFC South, and they, they look like a team that's going to make the playoffs next year. The one thing that they need to do is add a running back, because I'm not sold on Ronald Jones. I think the Bucks need to bring in somebody in the draft, maybe spend a, a day two pick on on J.K. Dobbins or, you know, DeAndre Swift, if he falls that far, they need to bring in a guy that 
Tom Brady can can throw to out of the backfield and a guy that can carry the ball as well. They need to find some balance on that offense. Let's continue with the quarterback's theme. Teddy Bridgewater goes to the Carolina Panthers. The new offensive coordinator from LSU, Joe Brady, is going to bring the same system that the New Orleans Saints run because Joe Brady came from the Saints when he moved on to LSU. Now he goes and becomes the offensive coordinator under Matt Rule with the Carolina Panthers. Teddy Bridgewater knows the system. He's been in it the last two years. So he's going to run it to perfection. And I'm excited for Teddy B because he finally gets a chance to become a starting quarterback again. He obviously was not going to get that chance with the Saints because the Saints have moved on with Drew Brees and they believe that Taysom Hill is their future at the quarterback position. But Teddy Bridgewater, say what you want, he's a great leader. I love what he brings, that he brings that calm demeanor to the football field. He's accurate and he is going to run that system well, that short intermediate passing game. He's extremely accurate in the short intermediate game. I like his pocket presence and we all remember what he did with the Minnesota Vikings when he came in as a rookie and in his second year before the injury. Teddy Bridgewater was an up-and-coming Pro Bowl player. I realize that people like to talk about him being a game manager, but I think once, once he becomes the guy there with the Carolina Panthers, he's going to do a lot of good things. And, and now the Panthers just need to add some more weapons besides Christian McCaffrey. Obviously, McCaffrey is an exciting weapon. He's their franchise running back who is going to carry the rock. But they need to find some more weapons at the wide receiver position in order for Teddy Bridgewater to be successful there. But I think this is a marriage that's going to work. Teddy Bridgewater and Joe Brady, uh, it's going to be exciting to watch. I I think that Teddy B is going to run that system to perfection. Let's move on to a couple of other quarterbacks as well. Phillip Rivers joins the Indianapolis Colts on a one-year deal worth $25 million. I like this deal. I don't understand why some fans were reacting negatively to it. Um, I think that Phillip Rivers is a veteran quarterback who brings a lot of savvy to the Colts. And the Colts have a very good offensive line. They still have T.Y. Hilton. Uh, Mack has developed into a good running back out there. And the Colts' defense, I expect them to bounce back. I expect them to bounce back because they still have Darius Leonard at the linebacking core. They've got Malik Hooker as the deep safety. When he's healthy, he's one of the better players in the secondary. And they also added DeForest Buckner. All right, DeForest Buckner is a player that has wrecked havoc the last couple of years with the San Francisco 49ers. And once the 49ers re-signed Eric Armstead, DeForest Buckner became expendable. He had one year deal left, and um, obviously the 49ers, they weren't going to be able to re-sign him, so they decided to move on. And the Colts gave up the 13th pick in the first round, but they get an exciting player for their front seven, a difference maker they can get after the quarterback. And DeForest Buckner is definitely a guy that that can bring it on every single play. Even though last year might, might not have been his best year, I believe DeForest Buckner is a difference maker that the Colts have been looking for in their front four on the defensive line. And they finally have a star, a guy in his prime, uh, that's going to be put in position in that Colts defense to, to succeed. So let's get back to Phillip Rivers. Obviously, the Colts need to find another wide receiver, but they've got the offensive line. They've got the running game. I believe they've got the weapons for Phillip Rivers to succeed. I like this deal. I, I really do, and I don't understand the, the hate that Phillip has been getting. He's definitely an upgrade over Jacoby Brissett. Look, Phillip Rivers is not Andrew Luck. But Phillip Rivers has been in a lot of big games, have been, has been to the playoffs with the Chargers, has had a great career, and he's moving on to a team where he doesn't have to be the guy. He's going to make enough plays out there, but he's going to be able to, to carry the team. And I, I think definitely an upgrade over Jacoby Brissett, who just disappeared in the second half of 
of last season. Ryan Tannehill was re-signed by the Titans. That was no surprise, but I don't think in the beginning of last season when Tannehill signed uh, the backup, signed as the backup for the Tennessee Titans, we never thought that he was going to become the starting quarterback for the Tennessee Titans and lead them to the playoffs, lead them to an upset over the New England Patriots and that wild card. So he had quite a run in the second half of last season. I just don't think Tannehill can duplicate that. I mean, a lot of people have been defending him, saying that he's been an above-average quarterback. I will argue that he's been an average quarterback. The Titans had to do this deal, all right? There's no way that they they made the playoffs. They won in the playoffs with Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry. There was no way they were going to let him go because it worked last year. So they had to bring Tannehill back. But I just don't think that he is a guy that's going to get the Titans into the playoffs every year. That's just not him. And um, I, I still feel that he's an average quarterback. Even though it worked last year in that system with play-action passes, he took care of the football, he was a very good game manager, he made those throws that he had to make. I just don't think that when you give Ryan Tannehill the starting nod for the entire year, I, I don't think you're going to get the returns that you'll get with some of the other quarterbacks that I've mentioned. Uh, let's look at some... Other deals uh, that have occurred. And the, the one trade that kind of shook up the free agent market was the DeAndre Hopkins deal. One of the best wide receivers in the game. A guy who was the man for the Houston Texans. Uh, favorite target for Deshaun Watson. Got traded. I'm not surprised that he got traded. Because there was... There were rumblings out there that Bill O'Brien wanted to trade DeAndre Hopkins last year. It just didn't happen. And I'm just surprised that the Houston Texans got a bag of chips for the best wide receiver in the game. Or one of the best wide receivers in the game. Top three, most definitely. DeAndre Hopkins is a guy that, that makes acrobatic catches. He runs precise routes. He's got great body control. I mean, you look at what he has done for that franchise. It's been incredible. Here's a guy that can easily get 100-plus catches and over, you know, 1,200 yards every year. Now Deshaun Watson loses his favorite target. I don't understand what Bill O'Brien was doing. So DeAndre Hopkins was traded to the Cardinals, and the Houston Texans also traded a fourth-round pick in 2020 for a second-round pick in this year's draft. It's the 40th pick. And David Johnson, along with the 2021 fourth-round pick. David Johnson, let's start with him. He's over the hill. He had one good year. This guy's done. All right? He, he's not going to bring an extra dimension to the Houston Texans offense. I actually doubt that he's going to make the roster. Houston Texans might cut him in training camp, if not sooner. Because we all know that David Johnson had one good year. And he hasn't done anything since. The Cardinals know it. Obviously, they got rid of his huge salary. They, they've moved on. And they were willing to, to throw him into this deal. I'm just surprised that the Texans took it. Let's look at OBJ's deal last year. The Browns sent the 17th pick in the first round and the 95th pick, which is a third rounder, and a starting strong safety in Jabril Peppers last year to the New York Giants for OBJ. That was a fair deal. So why are, why are the Texans sending DeAndre Hopkins for next to nothing? I mean, you could have waited until the draft in order to do this deal. You could have gotten a first rounder. If not this year, maybe next year. Even if the situation was this bad between Bill O'Brien and DeAndre Hopkins, I don't want to get too much into it, but it seems like that relationship has been strained for a while. But the fact is, you've got to do what's best for your team, Bill O'Brien. And Bill O'Brien just looks like he's overmatched right now. Not only as a head coach, especially what we saw against the Kansas City Chiefs and how he collapsed in that, that big game, but... The Texans need to get a GM before Bill O'Brien runs them into the mud. <laughs> because that's, that's what it looks like right now. I mean, the Houston Texans gave away, well, their second best player. I would say Deshaun Watson is their best player. But you're left with Will Fuller, 
You're left with Kenny Stills? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And look at the, the Texans' situation with their picks. What they gave up for Laramie Tunsil. They don't have a first-round pick in this year's draft. And now, obviously, they, they've got to do catch-up, and they're probably going to spend a, a pick on a wide receiver in the second round, but you're not going to replace DeAndre Hopkins, one of the best receivers in the game. This is the worst trade ever that I've ever seen. I've been covering the, the draft. I've been you know following the NFL for a while, and I don't remember a more lopsided trade than this one. To be honest with you, I mean, the Houston Texans are one of the, the great losers in, in free agency. When you give up one of your best players for almost nothing, and then you pick up David Johnson, and you also have to give up a fourth-round pick in this year's draft, you got to evaluate what you're doing as a franchise. And you have to let, you have to leave your ego at the door. You have to leave it at home. You can't take it personal. This is a business. You have to do what's best for your franchise. And, and Bill O'Brien right now is just ruining the Texans. A team that, that went to the playoffs last year, I don't think they're going to sniff the playoffs this year. Let's talk about some other great deals out there or not so great deals. Um, let's look at another wide receiver getting traded. And Bill O'Brien has to learn from the, from the Minnesota Vikings how to, how to get the best deal possible. The Minnesota Vikings get 2020 first-round pick, fifth-round pick, and sixth-round pick, along with the 2021 fourth-round pick for Stephon Diggs. And they also gave up a 2020 seventh-round pick. Stephon Diggs is a very good player. And Stephon Diggs goes to the Buffalo Bills and becomes the number one target now for the Buffalo Bills and for Josh Allen. The Buffalo Bills needed a, a big time target they've got Cole Beasley they've got you know some other guys out there but they, they don't have a guy that can take over games Stefan Diggs can do that when the Minnesota Vikings gave away Stefan Diggs who was really unhappy with this situation in uh, in Minnesota but they still got a great deal out of it. this is Rick Spielman at his best the Minnesota Vikings front office doing their best, doing their due diligence, and they got a great deal out of this. They gave away one of the better wide receivers in the game, but they still have Adam Thielen. They've got two first-round picks. They can spend one on a wide receiver in the 2020 NFL Draft. It's just, it's amazing sometimes. Some teams know how to get maximum value in those trades, and some teams don't. Bill O'Brien, Learn from Rick Spielman and the Minnesota Vikings organization. Because I'm sure Rick Spielman would have been able to get two first-round picks for DeAndre Hopkins. Amari Cooper, another wide receiver, goes back and re-signs with the Cowboys. Five years, $100 million. Like, Cooper is a good receiver. He really is. But he's not in the same company as DeAndre Hopkins or Michael Thomas or Stephon Diggs. And the one thing that Cooper, what frustrates me about Amari, I like him, but he disappears in big games. And I think we've seen that. We've seen that in the past, and I'm sure it's going to happen in the future as well. The Cowboys had to do this deal, because if they didn't, the Michael Gallup would, would become the number one wide receiver, giving a lot of money to Amari Cooper. And he's not an elite wide receiver. He's not in that company. Uh, Dak Prescott was given the franchise tag by the Dallas Cowboys. I'm sure they're going to try to re-sign him. But to me, Dak Prescott takes precedence over Amari Cooper's deal. I wish that the Cowboys would have given Dak Prescott a three, four-year deal uh, worth you know, $30, 35000000 instead of giving Amari Cooper uh, $20 million a year. Jerry Jones wants to keep those triplets together. Dak Prescott, Amari Cooper... Zeke Elliott, obviously he, he believes in that concept. He won three Super Bowls with Michael Irvin, Troy Aikman, and Emmitt Smith. I've already mentioned that the losers for me are the Houston Texans because they got next to nothing for DeAndre Hopkins. I also feel like the losers in free agency have been the two quarterbacks, Cam Newton, because the Panthers decided to go with Teddy Bridgewater, and now Cam Newton is, is trying to get out of there. Uh, the Panthers have granted him 
the permission to seek a trade, and also Jameis Winston. I look at the situation on the market right now. All the teams are have addressed their quarterback position, and I'm sure Winston was looking for a starting gig, but the Patriots are not going in that direction. The New England Patriots are most likely going to trade for somebody like Andy Dalton because he fits the Patriot way and because he can be that, that bridge quarterback before they develop, whether it's Jared Stidham or another quarterback in the draft. So Jameis Winston is really out of options right now. Are the Jaguars going to go with Jameis Winston? I doubt it. I think they're going with Gardner Minshew, and they might draft another quarterback in the first or second round in the 2020 NFL draft. So James Winston is down to a backup job right now. There are a lot of rumors out there that he might go to the Steelers as the backup to Big Ben, and then if he proves himself, he might eventually become that starting quarterback. But, I mean, James Winston throws for over 5,000 yards last year, 30-plus touchdowns, and 30 interceptions. His best option was to return to the Tampa Bay Bucks. Obviously, the Bucks, the Bucks went with Brady. And now Winston is out of options. So the losers for me are Cam Newton and uh, Jameis Winston. They, they don't have a market right now. They're, they're not going to get big-time deals. Winners for me are obviously the Arizona Cardinals. The Arizona Cardinals traded for one of the best wide receivers in the game in DeAndre Hopkins. Kyler Murray has his number one weapon, along with Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk. I love what the Arizona Cardinals have done in free agency. They added Jordan Phillips, who had a very good year with the Buffalo Bills, the defensive tackle. And they added two underrated linebackers, Devondre Campbell from the Atlanta Falcons. Deion Jones, Deion Jones with the Falcons gets a lot of love, but Campbell is a great all-around linebacker. He's a demon in pass coverage and had his best year with the Atlanta Falcons last year. So the Arizona Cardinals add him, and then they add Devin Kennard from the New York Giants. That was a great signing as well. So the Arizona Cardinals are doing their due diligence. They're not giving up a lot, but they're adding a lot of quality players. So I would say the Arizona Cardinals have have to be considered one of the winners in, in this trade market and, and free agency. Also the Browns. I really like what the Browns have done in this free agent period. They signed Austin Hooper. Uh, a lot of some people are complaining that it's a huge deal, but Hooper really arrived this year with the Atlanta Falcons. Had his breakout season, and I think the Browns needed to add a tight end weapon for that new Browns offense for Kevin Stefanski, and and they needed to add one for Baker Mayfield for that play action for those play action passes. Uh, they have Jarvis Landry, OBJ. Now they've got a guy that can and um, be a weapon in the middle of the field. And then they added Jack Conklin, one of the better offensive tackles on the market. He's going to play right tackle for them. The Browns needed to shore up that offensive line. And I'm sure with that 10th pick, they're going to add, add a left tackle. And just to me, Georgia's Andrew Thomas is the best tackle in this draft. And I think he's going to fall to, to number 10. Um, to the Cleveland Browns, and they're going to get a heck of a heck of a franchise left tackle there for the next 10 to 12 years. So I like what the Browns are doing. And they've obviously moved on from all their mess, from uh, their head coach, their GM, and and their new front offense is is doing a heck of a job out there. Let's talk about some other signings or, or trades uh, that caught my eye. Darius Slay uh, was traded to the Eagles for a third round pick and a fifth round pick in the 2020 NFL draft. So, And then he received an extension, a three-year extension for $50 million. He becomes the highest cornerback in the game. Look, Darius Slay might have had a down year last year, but he's one of the he's been one of the better corners over the course of three or four years on a bad Lions team. And the Eagles, that was their most troubling spot. And so they added him, and uh, they addressed their number one need in free agency in the draft. And I don't think the Eagles would have been able to get a better corner in the draft than, than what they got in Darius Slay. They also, the Eagles also signed Javon Hargrave. Great move. They get a defensive tackle. They can stop the run. Okay, push the pocket a little bit. Again, the Eagles go with, with the defensive lineman that can help them there. So I would say the Eagles 
are also one of the big winners in, in free agency because they made a couple of quality moves out there. I don't like what the Bears have done. And it's not because of the fact that they traded for Nick Foles and gave up a fourth-round pick to the Jags. I think Nick Foles is a quality quarterback, and I think he's going to beat out Mitchell Trubisky, by the way, next year. And we've seen what Nick Foles can do in the playoffs. He, he led the Eagles to the Super Bowl. Um, didn't turn out well for him when he went to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, obviously, Gardner Minshew outplayed him last year, and the Jags were willing to move on. But Nick Foles is an upgrade over Mitchell Trubisky in that Matt Nagy's offense. He's a smart player. He knows where to go with the football. He can run that offense. But I don't like what the Bears have done aside from the Nick Foles trade. I mean, they added Robert Quinn, who had a good year last year with the Dallas Cowboys. But he's 30 years old, and he gets a five-year deal worth $70 million. Are you kidding me? I mean, Robert Quinn was a good player with the with the then St. Louis Rams, now the Los Angeles Rams. But right now, I mean, had one good year with the Dallas Cowboys, all of a sudden he gets that big contract, and the Bears believe that he's going to be, if they pair him up with Khalil Mack, they're going to be a terror off the edge. I just don't see it. I think Robert Quinn is going to disappoint a great deal. Also, Jimmy Graham. Adding Jimmy Graham for two years, $9 million. Look, Jimmy Graham is over the hill. Jimmy Graham hasn't been the same player for, for the last four or five years. He's been on the decline big time. The Bears needed to, to find a tight end, but Jimmy Graham is, is over the hill right now. So I don't know what Brian Pace and, and the Bears are doing out there. They're just they're struggling. They're trying to fill up the roster, but they're not identifying the guys that, that are on the upswing. They're on the rise. They're, they're going with guys that have been around with veterans, those the Bears again, the Chicago Bears, another team that that did poorly in in free agency out there. I wanted to mention three more moves uh, that caught my eye in free agency. First one is Byron Jones signing with the Miami Dolphins. Obviously, Brian Flores is trying to duplicate what has worked for the New England Patriots, shoring up that secondary. They already have Howard, one of the better cornerbacks in the league, when he's healthy. And now they add Byron Jones, who has become a very good corner in this league. Uh, A couple of running backs have moved on. Melvin Gordon signs with the Denver Broncos. And now he's going to face off against the Los Angeles Chargers twice a year. Obviously, Gordon was unhappy last year, and we knew that he was going to move on. Uh, The Chargers re-signed Austin Eckler. Melvin Gordon winds up as the lead back with the Denver Broncos. So it's going to be interesting, him... Him and Philip Lindsay as the one-two punch. Uh, that that should be something, you know, storyline to keep an eye on. And another running back, Todd Gurley getting cut by the Los Angeles Rams. The Rams have, have cut bait with their star running back. Took quite a hit, but they realized that they, they had to do it. Gurley hasn't been the same. I think we saw it at, in the second half of the 2018 season. And then we saw it last year as well. Just something wasn't right. He's got bad knees. He's got tendonitis in them. And and it's just released their star running back. And he got picked up by his hometown team. He goes back to Georgia, the Atlanta Falcons, who don't have Devontae Freeman anymore. And they're hoping that Todd Gurley have, has something left in the tank. I just, I have my doubts about that. I mean, the Rams wouldn't have released him so rapidly if, uh, if Todd Gurley was was just fine. So a couple of running backs moving on. Obviously, a few star quarterbacks changing teams and Phillip Rivers and Tom Brady. It's been a busy, busy week in free agency. It's been interesting and the free agency uh, bonanza that, that's been going on out here in this busy offseason. All right, let's get to the draft stuff. Obviously, like I mentioned before, Ed is out sick this week, and uh, I'm going to be talking about defensive line prospects. Uh, That's something that we had planned, and I want to start with defensive ends, traditional 4-3 defensive ends or 5 techniques, those 3-4 defensive ends. And I'm going to do a top 5 guys available 
in the 2020 NFL Draft. Let's start with number five, Etor Gross Matos. Penn State defensive end, um, I love his length, I love his athleticism, his speed around the edge. A guy who has overcome a lot in his in his life in order to get to this point. So you got to love that story as well. The one thing that he's got to improve on, develop pass rush moves. Uh, that you don't see as many counters from him. Uh, obviously, he is he's not strong at the point of attack. He would need to get stronger and add more weight uh, to that frame. Certainly can. Um, that That's something you see. Hand use, something that he's got to get better at as well. He has gotten better at it during the 2019 season, but I want to see him become more lethal in that regard. So, Etor Gross Matos. It's not a guy that I'm overly high on. I, I don't see a first-round guy on tape, but I know that a few guys out there and NFL teams love him because they see a guy that, that, that has the frame to get bigger. And you can't teach athleticism. You can't teach size. You can't teach speed. And that's, that's the one thing he's got to get, obviously. He's got to get stronger, and he's got to develop more pass rush moves out there. Uh, number four, Marlon Davidson, the Auburn defensive lineman. At the scouting combine, he measured at 303 pounds. And obviously, it seems like he wants to play that three-tech, that defensive tackle in a 4-3 defense. But I have him here just because he has a lot of experience as a five-tech in, in Auburn's defense. He was a defensive end by trait most of the time in college. I'd love to leave him here uh, just because I think he is... He's a player that plays with good leverage. He's got good size, about 6'3", 303 pounds. He's versatile. He can move all around the line. I, I love that. But I think he's his best fit would be as a five technique um, at the next level. At number three, I'm going to go with James Lynch, a defensive lineman from Baylor. I see him strictly as a five technique at the next level. I love his size. I love his motor and his ability to, to disengage from blocks and attack the line of scrimmage. I mean, this guy's always flying around. He's always hustling. He's a good tackler. I just think he brings a lot to the table. He's got the size and he's got the frame to, to get bigger as well. When you turn on the film, James Lynch is always on your radar. He's so active out there. One of my favorite players in this draft period. I actually thought about putting him higher. Um, I think he's going to be a very, one of the most underrated players in this draft and definitely one of the most underrated defensive linemen for me in this draft. Uh, number two, AJ Epineza from Iowa. A lot of people have soured on him just because he didn't test well. Uh, he didn't run well. But again, AJ Epineza, when you break down his film, you see a guy that's a five technique. See a guy, his best fit is a 3-4 defensive end. He's strong at the point of attack. He will hold his ground. He can take on double teams out there. He can disengage from blocks. He's a good run defender. And he's a guy that, that will get into the backfield. He will get after the quarterback. But I felt like AJ Paneza is going to be an excellent pick at the end of the first round for a team that, that runs that 3-4 defense. At number one, no surprise, Ohio State defensive end, Chase Young. You can plug him in anywhere. I mean, to be honest with you, he can play that 4-3 traditional defensive end. He can also be that 3-4 edge rusher. But obviously, he's going to go to the Washington Redskins at number two overall. You don't have to overthink it. Um, that that's the pick that they're going to make, especially with Jack Del Rio running that defense. He wants his Khalil Mack. He drafted Khalil Mack when he was with the then Oakland Raiders, now Las Vegas Raiders. Chase Young, the speed, the power, the size, quick first step. He's disruptive. Uh, the one thing about Chase Young that bothers me is his motor. Just his motor looks the same uh, as when I was breaking down. And this was a long time ago. 
when I was breaking down Peppers when he came out of North Carolina. I just felt like both guys have issues with their motor a little bit. They're not always chasing. They're not always getting after it. And I think when the play is, is away from him, he's not hustling. If I break down Chase Young's game and, and Nick Bosa's game, Nick Bosa was a more complete player. He was a much better run defender. I do believe that Nick Bosa was turned speed into power. Chase Young is more of a speed rusher. And that's something he's got to get better at. He's got to get better as, as a run defender on the edge as a traditional 4-3 defensive end. But he is special. You see those special traits. The, the speed, the power, the size, the quick first step, being disruptive, coming off the edge. He's got that bend, and um, he's got the ability to change his directions. And he's going to be a guy that's going to get you know 10-plus sacks a year. I'm curious whether he's going to become, I believe that he will, but we want to see him become that, that next Khalil Mack, that next you know, Peppers, that next Miles Garrett. I think Chase Young definitely has that ability. Uh, a pass rusher, one of the best players in this draft, and it's no surprise that he's number one on my defensive end board. My most overrated player is Bradley Anai, a Utah defensive end. I love his motor. Uh, he's kind of a do-all, just always chasing plays down from behind. But he doesn't have that speed. He doesn't have that athleticism uh, to come off the edge and just be a a guy that, that will consistently be in the backfield. I mean, you were always seeing him in college, and he was always getting those sacks. He was always trying hard. It wasn't based on his athletic traits. He doesn't have that natural bend coming off the edge. A lot of people got excited with Bradley and I um, at the Senior Bowl. But then we saw how he just didn't perform the way he should have at the scouting combine. His testing numbers in the 40 time was, was really disappointing. And I see the same thing on film. He's not a dynamic pass rusher, but he's very active with his hands. He's got a great motor, and he holds the edge well against the run. He's a complete guy. He's just not a guy that, that's going to get double-digit sacks every year, and that's why I feel like he is one of the more overrated defensive ends on this draft. As far as underrated, I want to mention a guy that I'm sure Ed would have talked about, Jonathan Grenard from Florida. It's a guy that started his career at Louisville, transferred to Florida for his senior year, and had a great year. He's a pass rusher. A uh, very underrated guy that knows how to use his hands and, and knows how to get into the backfield. And uh, certainly a guy that came out of nowhere after an injury-riddled 2018 season. Another underrated guy is Derek Tuska uh, from North Dakota State. He's more of a sleeper for me. Um, I think he's a guy that could play 4-3 defensive end if he gets bigger, but you also see that versatility. I think he can be that 3-4 outside linebacker for somebody. Just that motor, you know, his ability to dip and, and bend off the edge. He's got really good speed. A guy that came on as a senior and, and won Defensive Player of the Year in his conference at North Dakota State. And just a guy... You see that they, he brings it on, on every snap out there. You just you wish you would see that from most defensive linemen out there. That motor that that's always on nonstop. So Derek Tuska is is one of my favorite prospects. Um, kind of one of those day three type of guys. He was he was at the Shrine Game and at the Combine. He he showed well as well. Uh, keep an eye on him. Let's move on now to the defensive tackles. I've got a top five list there. Let's start with number five, Ross Blacklock, a defensive tackle from TCU. You know, this is a player that had a really good year in 2019 after battling some injuries um, in college. But I think he has the versatility to play numerous positions. I think you play the nose tackle. You can play the five technique. I do think his best position in the NFL would be as a as a four three defensive tackle. He's got a variety of pass rush moves. He's got a nice club move, a nice swim move, and he shows that on film. He just he fires in the gap, and he can take on double teams, and he can disengage from from offensive linemen out there. Plays with good leverage. 
stays on his feet, has good balance, can take on double teams, and he's quick off the ball. Again, durability is probably my main concern with Ross Blacklock out there. But based on the film uh, during the 2019 season, he could be a late first, early second round pick. At number four, Texas A&M defensive tackle Justin Madubike. Uh, he decided to enter the draft after his junior season. He was a five-star recruit coming out of high school. And uh, he's gotten better every year in college. You see his quickness and, and power and his ability to play with great leverage. I mean, he's undersized. He's about 6'2 six, 6'3", two 290 pounds. He is a three-tech at the next level, a 4-3 defensive tackle. But I just, I love what he brings to the table. He can push the pocket. He can take on double teams. I guess the one critical thing with Justin Medobike is obviously undersized. And also he's the last man off the snap. A lot of the times he needs to be quicker. Uh, timing the snap. He, he doesn't have the quickest first step out there. But everything else is there. Um, and that's why I have Justin Medobike as a, as a second-round pick and one of the more underrated defensive tackles in this draft. At number three, I have Neville Gallimore from Oklahoma. We saw him at the Senior Bowl, and this is a guy who's played different positions on the defensive line. He's played nose tackle. He's played 4-3 defensive tackle, and that's I think that's his more natural position. He's got great speed. He flashes a, a lightning-quick first step. He's a guy that, that uses a great spin move out there. Um, he's always, especially during his senior year, he was able to get into the backfield and, and cause disruption out there. Uh, I guess you would question his motor a little bit. He's he's a bit undersized. and uh, But again, Neville Gallimore was one of the players that, that stood out on film, and he had a strong week during the senior bowl. At number two, I put Derek Brown, a defensive tackle from Auburn. I think he's a player that can play different positions on the defensive line, but I do believe his, his best position was be, would be as a 4-3 uh, defensive tackle. To be honest with you, I just the one thing that bothers me is I don't see Derek Brown as a top five, top ten pick in this draft. You see flashes from him, but you just you don't see him being dominant. On film, and uh, I think it's that. To be honest with you, what bothers me is his lack of hand usage. He just doesn't use his hands. He's not active with them. He can't keep his pad level down because he's a bigger guy, and he just rises up. He struggles with leverage. He doesn't have the awareness of, or feel on certain plays. He allows the offensive lineman to get into his chest. He gets driven back on run plays. It just has a tough time diagnosing plays, and uh, I've got a problem with that. I mean, he can, obviously, I make him sound like he's an undrafted free agent. He's not. He can hold his ground against the run. He can take on double teams. He flashes you know, a quick first step, not all the time, but he flashes it. Uh, he uses a rip move and, and an effective spin move in order to get into the backfield. He's got the size, he's got the power, and he's got long arms, but he doesn't provide any counter moves. He, he lacks those pass rush moves. And again, he needs to be more of a hand fighter. He needs to be more active with his hands. And, and that's why, you know, I keep putting him, I've been putting him on my top 10 in the mock draft because I think that's where he's going to go because there's not, except for Chase Young, there's not another dominant you know defensive lineman in this draft and Derek Brown always gets pushed up but and guys with his size and his frame and his long arms uh, just always go higher than they should but I just I I don't see a guy that that's gonna that teams will scheme around I don't see a guy that that teams are, are going to be afraid of. I mean, he's not in Domicon Sioux by any means. And so, again, he needs to become more active with his hands and he needs to work on his leverage because all guys are big, strong, and athletic at the next level. What sets you apart is your technique and, 
And that's something that Derek Brown needs to work on. At number one, I'm going to go with Javon Kenlaw, the defensive tackle from South Carolina. Again, I'm also critical of this player as well, but let's talk about his strengths. Uh, he's got a lightning quick first step. I mean, it's it's amazing sometimes. He's, he's the first man off the ball, and he can get into the backfield in a hurry. He's very aggressive at the point of attack. He has the versatility to play in, in different fronts. He's got great size. He's physically gifted. Again, he can play as a 4-3 defensive tackle or he can play as a 5 technique as well. You see those flashes from him, but that, that's all they are, flashes. I don't see any counter moves from him. Sometimes his hand usage is, is non-existent and he struggles disengaging from blockers. He struggles holding his ground and gets driven back on run plays. And then another thing, it's his motor. His motor, his leverage, I mean, he struggles keeping his, his leverage down, his pad level. He lacks those recognition skills. And again, he doesn't chase plays. His motor runs hot and cold. And that really bothers me and worries me. I still put him at number one here just because of that lightning quick first step. And I put him ahead of, of Derek Brown. But I see a lot of problems with Javon Kinlaw as well. And again, a player that has gotten better throughout his career, but not where you want him to be. Definitely going to be a top 15 pick. Uh, but again, he needs to work on his technique and has to uh, improve his motor. Let's talk about Missouri defensive tackle, Jordan Elliott. Uh, a guy who's been receiving a lot of love from the media, but maybe I'm seeing something different from him. Jordan Elliott is a Texas transfer who had a, who had a good 2019 season. He's got the size, he's got the, the long arms, and he's a good run defender. But what bothers me, he's slow off the snap. He's usually the last man off the ball. He's unable to disengage from blockers. Another player that needs to improve his hand usage. He's not a disruptive guy um, that you would expect him to be. He just doesn't show the quickness off the snap and uh, needs to control his pad level as well. And all this love for Jordan Elliott, I don't see it. He's one of the more overrated defensive tackles in this draft. Let's talk about some underrated defensive tackles in this draft. A couple of guys that I saw at the East-West Shrine game. Raekwon Williams uh, from Michigan State. He's going to be a day three pick. But I just love what he brings to the table as far as a run defender. Being able to take on double teams. Um, he's powerful. He can hold his ground at the point of attack. The one negative against him is he doesn't get much of a pass rush. He doesn't get much of a push. He's not disruptive. He doesn't get sacks or tackles for loss in the backfield. It's just not part of his game. He is a, he's a very good run defender. And he knows how to use his hands. He's very active. And that's why I'm a fan of Raekwon Williams. Because on day three, you need a guy that's going to be able to, to stand in there and hold his ground at the point of attack. Another guy is John Pinicini. Uh, defensive lineman from Utah. We talked about you know his his line mates in the past, Lakey Fotu and uh, Bradley Anai. But John Penicini is a very underrated guy. He was a JUCO transfer. I think he can play five technique. He can be that four three defensive tackle. He can give you that versatility on the defensive line. Again, doesn't get much of a push. Is not much of a penetrator. Now uh, he's the last man off the ball. But he's one of the better run defenders in this draft at the defensive tackle position. And another guy that actually impressed me with his his moves, his pass rush moves at the Shrine game. And I, I hope that's something that he's going to continue working on. So uh, John Panicini is another player to keep an eye on. And I wanted to mention a sleeper at the defensive tackle position, Kevin Thurman from Arkansas State. Uh, he was at the Tropical Bowl All-Star Game. He's an undersized defensive lineman, but I just I love his motor. He's got great pass rush moves, great counter moves. He's very active with his hands, 
and he's a penetrator. He's a guy that can get into the backfield. This guy is going to be an undrafted free agent, but I think he can give you that versatility. I think his best fit would be as a as a 4-3 defensive tackle. So here's the rundown that I gave you on on the defensive lineman class and and next week we'll we'll return and we'll talk about the the cornerback class. All right, I'd like to welcome 2020 NFL draft prospect and Nebraska defensive lineman Darian Daniels to the show. Darian, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? I wanted to get started. I wanted to get your thoughts on what your biggest strengths are on the fit football field. What do you bring to the field? Uh, I feel like I'm a very versatile defensive lineman. Um, contrary to what the film shows, I know here at Nebraska, they, they had me stationed at the nose guard position. And at Oklahoma State, I played at the three technique. But um, throughout practice, and there's also a few snaps where I moved to the outside. But I feel like I'm, I'm real versatile to where I can play zero nose all the way out. What do you think sets you apart from the other defensive linemen in this draft? You saw a few of them at the Senior Bowl. You saw a lot of them at the Combine. What do you think sets you apart? Um, it's actually funny. I didn't notice this until um, the, the the Combine. Uh, I, they said that I have one of the longest wingspans uh, amongst the interior defensive linemen. It's just something that I, I, I just recently found out. But I think that's one thing that sets me aside. You know, a lot of guys um, at my position, they their arms aren't as long as mine. I feel like I have length as an advantage. You mentioned that you can play all across the defensive line. You have that versatility to play in different schemes and different defenses. But what do you think is your best position on the defensive line as you move forward to the next level? Uh, it's, it's kind of too hard to, to say exactly uh, which one I'm better at. I feel like it kind of depends on depends on the scheme. So I, uh, if, if I'm at a three-down front, uh, I believe I'll be a perfect nose because I'm big, I'm long. I demand a lot of hands, and I can man the center and, and, and play two gap. But as as far as a, a four man um, four man scheme, I think I'd be better at a three technique because I think I'd be solid with a one on one uh, a one on one um, lineman one on one with the lineman, and I'd be able to to cause penetration in the, in the run game and in the pass game and, and affect the offense that way. Darian, tell me, did you play any other sports in high school besides football? Oh yeah, I was. Uh, I was a shop thrower and also played basketball. What was what was your best sport outside of football? Was it basketball or was it track? <laughs> nah, I was I was a state winner in the shot put my senior year. Oh, congratulations on that! So yep. you've got that strength, huh? You've got that strength. Yeah, a little bit of explosiveness to me, yes, sir. Uh, tell me, uh, when you were coming out of high school, obviously Oklahoma State was the school that you decided to go to. What made you choose the Oklahoma State Cowboys? Just when I took my official visit there, um, I felt like a lot of the guys I was me and the, the guys on the team we had a lot of similarities. Um, I felt like the culture was very family based. Um, I felt like the, the men there had a lot of integrity, you know, about themselves, and it was just something that I wanted to be a part of. I just felt like I saw myself developing not just as a player but as a man. You won a lot of games with the Cowboys, you know, ten. I think three back-to-back -back seasons where you guys won. 10 games it's a lot of yeah. it's a winning tradition what was it like to be a part of that winning culture at Oklahoma State uh, it was very um I feel like it, it was a, it was a great lesson for me it, it showed me how uh, a, a team's supposed to work it showed me how how disciplined a team has to be it showed me how ultimately I feel like it showed me how to lead I had a lot of great leaders um all three of those years and and I and I got a lot from them you had the opportunity, actually. You won the Vernon Grant Award with the Cowboys. Talk about it. How, how special was that? Uh, it, it meant it meant a lot to me. It meant a lot to me. Um, just off the simple fact that I was uh, I was still I'm gonna say transitioning into the more vocal side of leading. Um, at the time, I was really just lead by action type of guy, and I, uh, I believe that was my junior year. I won that my junior year. I won that, and it was just. Um, it was real. It was real humbling because you know you don't you don't never notice your impact until people really tell you. So it really made me feel special about myself. It made me feel like I helped my team, you know, be as great as they could possibly be. Oh, absolutely. So you decided to transfer to Nebraska for your final senior year. Why did you decide mm -hmm. to do that? 
Well, my uh, senior season at Oklahoma State, I suffered a, um, a rupture in my left uh, in my left pinky, which caused me to miss the whole season. And during that time of healing and recovering, um, I would have conversations with my younger brother, who was currently playing at Nebraska. And he, you know, it was his idea. He was like, "Ad, you know, you got one more year to play football. Come play with me." So um, that's that's kind of the ride I took. I talked to some of my teammates about it. I talked to some of my coaches about it, and they all saw it as an opportunity, a once in a lifetime opportunity. Not many people can say that they played, um, they played collegiate football with their with their brother. So it was an opportunity that I decided to take. So you decided to take that opportunity. Talk about it. Talk mm-hmm. about that journey playing with your younger brother in, in college. Not many people get a chance to do that. Yeah, it was it was it was really fun. Um, I enjoyed every single minute of it. Um, just you know, the, the course of my life, I always looked at my little brother as little brother. You know, so when you're on a football team, there's really no hierarchy. Everybody is a brother. You know, it's a big round table for everybody to sit at, and um, it that it made me take a step back and not just look at my brother as my younger brother, but look to him as his own man. And I felt like it helped me out. I felt like it helped me mentally and physically, just like just as much as it helped him mentally and physically as well. We're very critical. We're very. Um, uh, hard on top on each other, so we always expect nothing but greatness out of each other. So um, I felt like I pulled out some of his best football. I feel like he pulled out some of the best of mine. Darian, I mentioned at the top of the show, you're one of the lucky ones. You had the opportunity to to work out during your pro day. Not a lot of prospects are not getting that opportunity right now because the, the yeah. scouts and NFL teams have been pulled off the road, and many guys are scrambling right now and trying to send film do those mock pro days so were you satisfied with your overall performance your overall work uh that you did during the oh, pro yeah. day on march 12th oh yeah most definitely um i had i did um all the exercises at the combine so when it came to the pro day i was just more so focused on the d-line drills um and that and that's that's what i'm more comfortable doing you know football work things that i things that i find enjoying you know uh, you know, I, I played I played a sport of football. I don't train to work out just to run a forty and do some bench press. But uh, being able to to get that out of the way and just focus on the D line drills, I feel like it helped it helped me out a lot. And I felt like I helped myself out a lot just running through the drills. The coach had us do, showing them how flexible I am, how explosive I am, and how coachable I am. You know, amongst all amongst other things. Uh, the the scouting combine, Darian, uh, it's a very exhausting process. And I felt it's a psychological yeah. test. It's it's probably the biggest interview of your life if you get a chance to to come there to Indy. So tell us about that experience at the scouting combine, just your experience of of the whole event. Uh, it was it was it was mentally draining. Um, I spent uh, about ten to eleven hours in a hospital. A lot of waiting, you know, a lot of walking in large packs from here to there. Um, but more than anything, it was it was they gave us a lot of downtime. They gave us a lot of time to just to sleep, to chill, things like that. And then on, uh, after all of the medical things was taken care of, and it was just like football and workouts. But everything after that was easy sail. So as you look back on the entire scouting combine, were you happy with your overall results? Do you wish? You would have done better in some event. Uh, well, I'm, I'm I'm very comfortable with everything that I've done. Um, you know, there's always room for improvement. I feel like I could have done better in everything. Honestly, I feel like I could. I know I can do better in in, in everything that I've done. But um, as far as what I put out there, you know, I'm 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 pretty comfortable with it. You know, I think every football player dreams about going to the Senior Bowl because it's the biggest all-star game out there. So, how did mm-hmm. you perform during that week? I mean, critique yourself. Uh, tell us how how you perform in Mobile, Alabama. I got better every single day. Um, I was I was with the Detroit Lions uh, throughout that throughout the game, so I was uh, under Coach Bo, and I feel like everything that he gave me, I felt like I, I applied it to my game and got better. I know when I got out there, um, I was playing a little. Uh, I played a little too high. Um, I was playing a little too fast. You know, I was trying to I was trying to do things too quickly and too early. And talking to Coach Bo, he you know he kind of calmed me down. He kind of got my got my uh, focus back on track and gave me little nuggets to help improve my game. And I felt like I took it and I ran with it. And I felt like I got better 
each and every day on the practice field, and it, and it showed up a lot during the game. So tell us about the competition level at the Senior Bowl. I'm, I'm sure it was intense each and every day. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Um, the competition level was extremely high. You know, it's the best of the best in college football, and um, I feel like not just the offensive players, but the defensive players as well, they made you bring something new to the table every single day. Um, it's not every game, you know, during a regular season where you're kind of um, a one-trick pony where the same move kind of works with every single guy um, at the senior bowl. You know, the guys are at a higher level, um, and they're playing very fast, and they're also learning as they play. So they're making the, the, the right adjustments to try to adjust to any everybody's game. And I feel like, you know, it makes you dig deeper in your bag and, and, and try new things and to make adjustments just as much as they're making adjustments. Obviously, you had the chance to be coached by the, the Lions coaching staff. What was the difference between NFL coaching and college coaching? Did you notice a change? Um, yes and no. Yes and no. Um, with college coaching, it's more of a um, it's, it's more of a teaching speed, if that makes sense. You know, a lot of guys are young, so the coaches are doing a lot of teaching. In the NFL, they kind of expect you to know the basics. So they're kind of just like – giving you tools and you have to work with what you with, work with what you got you, you feel me so i thought that that was kind of the only difference what type of feedback did you receive from nfl teams at the combine at the senior bowl obviously you spoke to many nfl scouts and and teams without going into specifics about it what type of feedback did they give you oh some feedback was uh, i i I don't really too much listen to a lot of the praise, listen to a lot of, um, you know, a lot of critiquing. And one thing that they said I could get better at was oh, my pad level and my, my consistency with the placement of my hands. And those are actually two things I had been working on prior to the combine and, and to the senior bowl. So I've been already kind of, you know, on myself about that. And then another concern that they raised was my body weight. And um, I did, I think I did pretty good. I came. I made. I weighed in at the Senior Bowl at 3:22, and I weighed in at the Combine uh, almost a month later at 3:11, and I'm still, you know, slowly chopping at my weight. I'm trying to lose. Body, I'm trying. I'm trying to drop my body fat percentage, um, but but still maintain a lot of the lean muscle weight. But yeah, that's kind. Of, that's kind of some of the um, feedback that I got from some scouts. What is it like to be in the same draft as uh, the the Davis twins? So obviously Carlos and Khalil. What is it like to go through this process with, with those guys with you? Uh, it, it makes it a lot. It makes me feel at ease. Um, I'm, I'm very comfortable being at the being at the combine with them. It made me very comfortable, um, and just knowing that I have somebody who I can really relate to going through the process with me it's really been helpful to me I feel like it's been helpful for them as well just being able to go with other people you know that you know and trust and you can talk to about as you look back on your college career obviously you played at Oklahoma State you played at Nebraska who would you say was the toughest opponent to to play on Saturday who was the toughest team to, to go up against um, believe it or not, the Kansas State offensive line was always was always um, difficult to play against. They're just, um, you know, on paper, you know, they're not they're never really the biggest, they're not really the the fastest. But one thing that they are, they're they're probably one of the most disciplined offensive lines, you know, I've ever played against. And they're just always where they need to be. And it, and it makes it difficult for for a defensive lineman to win. You know, you're doing as much as you possibly can to cause havoc, but they they get hip to hip too quickly, or you know, they, their pass is always right, and they're always passing all blocks the, the proper way. You know, it makes it makes things a little difficult. Nebraska has a lot of good players coming back, but can you give me a couple of players that I should keep an eye on, guys that might be in the same position as you next year? Oh yeah, most definitely. Um, I feel like. The whole the whole defensive line. Uh, my younger brother, um, Ben Stilley, uh, DeAndre Thomas. They, I think they'll be. They they were kind of the. Um, they relieved us. The, me and the Davis twins on, on film a lot this past year. I feel like they're gonna have big seasons next year. Uh, JoJo, he's a, he's a pretty solid. He's a pretty solid player. You know, he's he's one of those guys that's gonna make some noise. Uh, 
DiCaprio and, and Cam Taylor, some other great guys on the defensive end who's gonna who I feel like are gonna generate a lot of buzz. DeAndre Williams is what gonna generate a lot of buzz and just, you know, make a lot of things shake. Um, you know, on the offensive end, you know, we got you got a lot of young guys but our offensive line is returning. I feel like every one of our offensive linemen have the potential to be in the same position. Um, I know Adrian's gonna be in this position. Uh, and Wondell Robinson, I know for a fact he's going to be a star um, in the near future. He's um, he's a true freshman this past year, but he has unbelievable talent, crazy speed, and I feel like he has a great passion for the game, which is going to take him extremely far. Obviously, you have the inside knowledge on a lot of the players and the coaching staff. Is Scott Frost in Nebraska finally going to break out this season? What can we expect from the team? moving forward in 2020? I believe we can be expecting a six-win season at minimum. You know, I feel like they'll be in a bowl game. Coach Frost's system, is, is his foundation is laid. I believe his foundation is laid. Everybody understands what to expect from the coaches, and the coaches know what to expect from the players. Um, and I feel like everybody's getting comfortable. Um, I feel like this past season, Coach Frost did a good job of weeding out all of the bad seeds on the team. And and kind of watering all the good things about the team. And I feel like um, it's, it's making, it took a huge step in the right direction. We lost a lot of experience on the defensive end, but we gained a lot of experience on the offensive end. And a lot of the guys up next on the defensive side, I feel like, are very um, are very experienced and very able to, to, to be a dominant, a dominant defense as well. So I just feel like this upcoming season is going to be this next season, I feel like it's going to be that first big step in the right direction. Obviously, not many people get a chance to, to train for the NFL draft. How fun has this whole preparation, this process, been for you? I mean, this, as you look back on it right now. Uh, I really enjoy grinding. I, I really enjoy the grind. I enjoy the process of, of getting to where I want to be. Um, being a student athlete is kind of hard to, to put – my all and being a great student and putting my all into being a great athlete, but just being able to lose the burden of having to study for classes or read books or make sure I make the right grade on a, on a quiz, you know, losing that burden, it really gave me a lot of energy just to work out. And I felt like I put, I put in some of my best work over the course of this break, just being able to work out every single day whenever I need to and doing everything I needed to, to better myself as an athlete. Final sales pitch uh, for you, Darian. Uh, what kind of player and teammate would an NFL team be getting? What type of guy are you? Uh, I feel like I'm a great, great teammate. Um, I, I hold my teammates accountable. I feel like one aspect to the game that I do do, I do bring is that I, I pull out the best out of all of my teammates. I feel like my teammates play better when I'm on the field. I don't know if it's a me thing or if it's something that I do, you know, but I, I, I kind of, I see a trend in my, in some of my teammates playing some of the best football when I'm on the field. And, uh, I'm a hard worker. I'm a fast runner. You know, not many in, in football, you know, not many people are able to pick up and adapt as, as the game goes on. I feel like I'm one of those players who, who will work hard to understand the basics and then who's smart enough to adapt in the game in critical times when, when I'm needed to make a play, you know, you can count on me to do my job. Darian, thanks for joining me today. You gave a lot of great answers and a lot of insight into the NFL draft and the entire process. Thanks for being with me. Uh, no problem. Thank you for the opportunity. This was Blitzcast number 100. Thank you for listening. Take care.